To protect their privacy, patients' names have been changed throughout this episode. We've chosen pseudonyms to present this story. The sun set over a Tuscan vineyard. In 2004, Stephen Sumner was on summer vacation, taking in the lush sights on his electric scooter. The dirt road was quiet, except for the hum of his engine, when suddenly, a car came from out of nowhere. They collided with so much force, Sumner went flying from the Vespa. Sumner woke up in an Italian hospital. His doctors said his leg needed to be amputated above the knee. There was too much damaged tissue which could get infected. Sumner agreed to the amputation, knowing it was the only way to save his life. He spent the next three weeks in the hospital recovering. But each night, he woke with excruciating pain. The sensations of clenched toes, spasms, and violent shocks pulsed through his non-existent leg. While his doctors insisted the feelings would be temporary, Sumner had heard of this before. He was suffering from phantom limb pain. It didn't get better. Sumner returned home to Canada and was fitted with a prosthetic leg. He did rehabilitation therapy, but even four years after his accident, he felt the pain. Medical professionals couldn't give him answers, so Sumner scoured the internet looking for ways to treat it. The solution included a quick trip to the hardware store. Sumner drove to the nearest Home Depot and bought a full-length mirror. Then he sat in his car reflecting his opposite leg back at him. And for the first time, he was able to trick his mind into thinking his lost limb was still there. Within five minutes, Sumner's pain was gone. When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life or death stakes. This is Medical Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them. As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle. This week, in part two, we'll analyze all the evidence and try to find an answer. You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. This is our second episode on phantom limb pain, a medical phenomenon that plagues about 80% of amputees. PLP causes agonizing sensations in missing limbs, making the patient's recovery extra challenging. Last week, we explored the history of phantom limb pain, from Ambrose Pare, the first surgeon to document the disorder, to Silas Ware Mitchell, a Civil War surgeon who introduced it to the mainstream. 
This week, we'll explore some of the modern treatments that alleviate phantom limb pain, and we'll analyze the theories as to how the mind and body disconnect, causing PLP. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. In the early 1990s, an advertisement appeared in local San Diego, California newspapers. A doctor sought amputees for clinical studies. To an outsider, the text under the headline may have seemed like something out of a horror film. It referenced a patient's missing limbs and the phantom pain that still plagued them. Yet, the ad suggested the affliction could be treated. By this time, phantom limb pain, or PLP, was a recognized medical phenomenon. But no one knew what caused it, and very few doctors were exploring ways to alleviate it. Aside from the neurologist who'd placed that advertisement, Dr. V.S. Ramachandran at the UC San Diego Center for Brain Cognition. Ramachandran was famous for investigating subjects other medical professionals didn't dare touch. He was one of the first in his field to hypothesize about grapheme color synesthesia, or an individual's ability to perceive color as letters and numbers. Ramachandran believed this occurred when normally disconnected areas of the brain became linked. In this case, the parts that recognized colors and numbers. He also published one of the first studies on apotemnophilia an aspect of body identity integrity disorder. This condition caused a patient to have an overwhelming desire to amputate a limb. Ramachandran suggested this was due to damage in the right parietal lobe, the part of the brain that manages handwriting, temperature, touch, and body position. So phantom limb pain was right up Ramachandran's alley, and he believed there was a biological explanation for PLP, just like there was with synesthesia and body identity integrity disorder. He wanted to discover how these conditions related to the subconscious workings of the brain. He invited candidates to the University of California, San Diego to test a simple yet innovative technique. He called it Mirror Visual Feedback, or MVF. Imagine you took a shoebox and put a mirror in the middle. Then, you cover the half of the box that doesn't have a mirror, so you can't see what's on that side. If you put an apple in front of the mirror and look down from the top, it would look like there were two apples in the box. In MVF, the amputee placed their healthy limb in one side of a wooden box and imagined their lost limb in the other. When they peered inside and saw the mirror reflect their existing limb, it gave the illusion that their lost arm had returned. The patient moved their hands and arms and saw the missing limb do the same. The idea was to trick the brain into believing the phantom arm was performing the task. For example, if a patient felt their finger was cramped or clenched, they stretched the existing hand. The brain would see the mirror image and believe the phantom limb was unclenching too. And for many, the pain subsided. This was due to something called mirror neurons. When a neuron or nerve cell experiences a sensation, it sends a chemical called a neurotransmitter to another neuron. 
They play a game of telephone all the way up to the brain. The brain responds by sending a new signal back to our nerves and muscles, telling them how to react. But mirror neurons activate as we perform a task or watch someone else do something we know we can do ourselves, meaning they won't kick in when we watch a bird fly because we're not capable of flight. But if you've ever watched someone else yawn and found yourself following suit, that's likely your mirror neurons at work. They also work with empathy. For example, if you see someone fall off their bike and skin their knees, your mirror neurons might make you wince and feel that same stinging pain. Dr. Ramachandran believed that mirror neurons also allowed us to empathize with ourselves. He thought that might be why we have introspection and self-awareness. He said, there is obviously a chicken or egg question here as to which evolved first. But the main point is that the two co-evolved, mutually enriching each other to create the mature representation of self that characterizes modern humans. Essentially, Ramachandran believed those mirror neurons and our self-awareness developed in tandem. And that's why he had faith in MVF. His theory went something like this. A patient feels intense discomfort that they cannot see in the phantom limb, say, a clenched fist. The patient knows consciously that the pain shouldn't exist. But that's not enough to convince the subconscious mind or the nervous system. But when a patient looks at their reflected hand, they can trick the brain into realizing there's nothing causing the pain. The mirror image is stretched, not clenched, so the mind rejects the signal as false. And for the most part, Ramachandran's theory was right. He found that just 15 minutes of MVF led to a significant decrease in phantom limb pain in most of his patients. And luckily, its tools were easily accessible. Patients could use a home mirror anytime they felt the pain return to a missing limb. Thanks to Ramachandran's work, in 2008, Stephen Sumner found that MVF alleviated his phantom leg pain from the front seat of his car. After that first success, Sumner practiced home MVF daily for the following two weeks, and his pain disappeared. It didn't come back for a year and a half. When the sensations returned, Sumner pulled out the mirror and repeated his treatment. This time, the pain vanished for four years. In 2010, Sumner decided he wanted to help people in less fortunate communities overcome their phantom limb pain with MVF. He wasn't a doctor or a physical therapist, but he knew what had worked for him. So he took his methods to Cambodia, where many physicians still overlooked the problem of PLP. They had bigger issues to focus on. Active landmines plagued the dense brush and open fields of Cambodia. The mines had been laid during the Civil War between 1967 and 1975. Many of the bombs were abandoned over time. But these live weapons could stay active for more than 50 years. Between 1979 and 2011, more than 20,000 civilians died in landmine accidents, and 44,000 more were injured, requiring amputations. According to the Amputee Coalition, 
80% of people who lose limbs experience PLP, which means there's close to 35,000 Cambodians with the condition. So Sumner worked with the Red Cross Center in Battambang, Cambodia. He fitted amputees with free prosthetic limbs and educated them on MVF. With the help of a translator, Sumner coached a group of 44 people. He found 37 of them experienced phantom limb pain regularly. This came as a shock to the Red Cross Center manager, who said his patients had never reported the condition in the past. But Sumner didn't see that as strange. In fact, he replied, Nobody wants to be thought crazy. Sumner distributed thousands of mirrors to patients in Cambodia and other third world countries. He explained his philosophy behind PLP in a way that many of his patients, who were former soldiers, understood. He pointed to his head and said, you have a commander here that controls the body. The commander has a map of the whole body. When the map doesn't match the body, the commander panics and you feel the pain. This mirror tricks the commander into thinking the leg still exists, so the pain goes away. Unfortunately, Ramachandran's MVF therapy wasn't a one-size-fits-all treatment. The mirror box didn't allow for a wide range of movement. A patient couldn't interact with their environment or move around while using MVF. Some people complained that their pain returned after weeks, days, even minutes after the treatment ended. And patients who didn't have success with MVF wondered, was there any hope of recovering from PLP? Or would they have to learn to live with the pain forever? Coming up, a man who'd suffered from PLP for 48 years finally finds relief. Now, back to the story. In the 1990s, Dr. V.S. Ramachandran introduced a simple yet innovative therapy technique for PLP. Mirror visual feedback, or MVF, used a wooden box and mirrors to trick the brain into thinking the limb was still there. And it worked for some patients, but not for everybody. MVF had a few limitations. For starters, it only allowed small, restricted movements within the box. This meant the lost arm couldn't realistically function with the world around it. Patients couldn't catch a ball. They couldn't use both limbs to, say, solve a Rubik's Cube. Since MVF required a patient to focus on a mirror, the illusion wasn't convincing for certain people. This meant the pain returned quickly or never went away at all. It also wouldn't logistically work for people who'd lost both arms or both legs. MVF was radical in its simplicity, but some people's brains simply didn't buy the idea that their limb had spontaneously returned. Some researchers hoped that a prosthetic might make the illusion more realistic when amputees were away from the mirror, but that didn't relieve the pain either. This may have to do with the brain's lack of control over the prosthesis. With one exception, myoelectric prosthetic limbs are a type of artificial limb that can read electrical neural impulses. A patient can essentially operate the prosthetic just by thinking about it, like how flesh and blood limbs work. The prosthetics can tie shoelaces or grip a cup, 
but they're extremely expensive compared to regular models. And while patients who use these myoelectric prosthetics reported a decrease in PLP, they still didn't completely escape from the pain. But in 2014, Dr. Max Ortiz Catalan, head of the Biomectronics and Neurorehabilitation Laboratory at Chalmers University in Sweden, experimented with a new form of therapy, one where patients' brains could control that missing limb with more versatility than MVF or myoelectric prosthetic limbs. Augmented reality. Augmented reality applies a computer-generated overlay to an already existing environment. It doesn't necessitate a headset like virtual reality might, but it does require a screen. If you've ever used an Instagram filter or played Pokemon Go, you've experienced AR. And Dr. Ortiz Catalan knew that this cutting-edge technology could hold the key to curing phantom limb pain. For his study, his team selected 14 of the most challenging phantom arm pain cases in Sweden. They wanted to work with patients who hadn't responded to previous treatments, like medication, MVF, acupuncture, or hypnosis. One of those patients was a 72-year-old man who we'll call Nick. In 1965, Nick had lost his arm beneath the elbow after a traumatic accident. He experienced PLP immediately following his amputation and then lived with it for the next 48 years. Nick constantly felt like his phantom hand was in a strongly clenched fist. And no matter what he tried, he couldn't get it to open or loosen. Before the study, Nick said that his discomfort was usually about a three on a scale of one to 10. But every hour or so, he had episodes of extreme pain beyond a 10, lasting a few minutes. Nick defined it as excruciating and said the sensations would often wake him in the middle of the night. His work was physically demanding, and many of the duties made his PLP worse. But Dr. Ortiz Catalan's therapy program brought Nick hope. He sat in front of a computer monitor while doctors applied small electrodes to his stump. Nick then performed a few tasks like open and close the phantom hand, turn the wrist clockwise or counterclockwise, or bend and extend at the elbow. As he followed the instructions, electrodes registered the signals his muscles received near the stump. Muscles are attached to bones via tendons and help our bodies move. When the brain tells the muscle to perform a task, it contracts or bunches up, pulling on the bone it's attached to. If a muscle relaxes, it goes back to its normal length, no longer putting tension on the bone. And everything is connected. Remember the skeleton song? The foot bones connected to the heel bone? Well, our muscles still believe that's true, even when some limbs aren't there anymore. Nick's upper arm still flexed in a specific way that would have triggered his hand to clench if it had still been there. And computer algorithms intercepted those messages being delivered to the stump. They then projected them onto the virtual arm that Nick saw in real time. Meaning he watched his missing appendage perform tasks his brain told it to. 
And patients like Nick were then able to do things that weren't possible before, not even in MVF treatment, like drive a race car. In AR, Nick and the other candidates steered a simulated vehicle using their phantom limb. They used a stick shift to accelerate, which required them to bend their phantom elbows. Patients played these games for about 10 minutes a session. At the end of each visit, Dr. Ortiz Catalan recorded the patient's pain through a simple survey. Finally, he asked each patient to return twice a week for the next five weeks to continue the therapy. After Nick's first session with Dr. Ortiz Catalan, he was discouraged to find his pain actually increased. His doctors weren't sure why this was. Nick may have been fatigued from the trial, but he worried that the AR therapy was just another lost cause. Nevertheless, his wife encouraged him to return and to give it time. And after Nick's second session, he reported a slight decrease in his average pain levels. After week four, Nick's discomfort drastically diminished. He also found that his physically demanding job didn't lead to extended periods of suffering afterward. After 48 years of pain, Nick could work harder and more efficiently without any PLP. And the therapy wasn't even done yet. By his sixth session, Nick's phantom fist, which felt permanently clenched, opened up and finally relaxed. Dr. Ortiz Catalan suggested that this was because Nick saw the hand in its natural state through the simulation. By week 10, Nick's discomfort was non-existent between sessions. He claimed, these pain-free periods are something almost new to me, and it is an extremely pleasant sensation. Nick could sleep through the night without waking in agonizing pain. His entire attitude changed for the better. When the body is happy, so is the mind. His wife explained, pain now plays a less important role in his life, and those close to him can see it. Nick wasn't alone. After 12 sessions, Dr. Ortiz Catalan's patients saw a 50% reduction in discomfort. They also reported their phantom sensations as less intrusive in their daily lives and they slept better at night. Overall, Ortiz Catalan's study seemed like a success, but it didn't work for everyone. Unfortunately, augmented realities had some of the same limitations that MVF had. A patient could separate themselves from the illusion by looking down at their amputated arm, and it wasn't as effective for patients with missing legs because they still couldn't walk in the simulation but virtual reality offered an opportunity. In 2018, Dr. Laurel Buxbaum at the Moss Rehabilitation Research Institute in Pennsylvania performed a study of virtual reality therapy. VR is a computer-simulated environment that a person can physically interact with. Users wear a headset that gives them 360-degree views of the automated world, and they use controllers or gloves to interact with the space. Patients who'd lost an arm or leg could be transported to an environment where that limb still existed, and they could use it. One of Dr. Buxbaum's patients was a woman we'll call Cynthia. When she was 44 years old, 
Cynthia lost her leg following a life-threatening blood clot. Cynthia feared that reacclimating with a prosthetic would be the most challenging part of her recovery. But six months after her surgery, she found there were far more devastating consequences, phantom limb pain. Cynthia said, Sometimes I would feel an itch or a shooting pain, and I would feel it with or without my prosthetic. Sometimes it would feel like my foot was itching, but I didn't have a foot there. I didn't know what to do to ease it. I would try to squeeze and press the bottom of the stump to see if it would stop, but nothing really helped. So, with nothing to lose, Cynthia agreed to be a candidate in Dr. Buxbaum's study. Doctors at the Moss Institute gave Cynthia virtual goggles and placed sensors on her stump. She then dropped into a simulated environment. Cynthia participated in a bunch of virtual games from climbing and rappelling off a cliff to scooting around a maze on a rolling desk chair. Within a month, Cynthia's discomfort was gone. After three months, she no longer needed pain medication. Six months after her treatment ended, mild soreness returned. It's unclear where Cynthia went from there or whether she continued her rehabilitation with the Moss Institute. But the initial treatment worked. Now, Buxbaum and her team are trying to create in-home programs for patients like Cynthia so that they won't have to return to the office and restart treatment every six months. Since virtual and augmented therapies are so new, Many doctors are still testing the long-term effects of the treatments. But the problem is, no one is 100% certain how or why PLP happens. So it's hard to theorize what solutions will work after years or decades. Some doctors believe the key to getting rid of phantom limb pain doesn't lie in mirrors or simulations. They want to rewire the brain's perception of reality permanently. Coming up, doctors discover a treasure map in the mind. Now, back to the story. Thanks to modern therapy programs with virtual and augmented reality, patients can move past their phantom limb pain. In the 2010s, Swedish doctor Max Ortiz Catalan gave them the tools to actually see and operate their lost limb in a simulated environment. Scientists believe that mirror visual feedback and ARVR therapies work because they trick the brain into believing the limb is still attached. And that's all due to something called neuroplasticity. We may think that the brain is this concrete network of permanently programmed neurons, kind of like a keyboard. Each letter on the keyboard corresponds to what is typed on the screen. You push the X key, and an X appears in your browser or word processor. But that's not exactly the case. That keyboard can be rewired. The X key can type a B if it's reprogrammed, and so can the mind. The brain is always trying to find new and more efficient ways to send and receive information. It creates or eliminates connections between the neurons. Think of it like finding a shortcut that lets you shave five minutes off your commute. When the brain successfully makes those changes, it's called neuroplasticity. 
Neuroplasticity is most prevalent in babies who constantly interact with new surroundings. Their senses have to rewire their brains to form their understanding of the world, which is necessary for survival. They understand that a mother's kiss evokes a feeling of love, that a cold bath evokes feelings of discomfort. Yet our brain is capable of neuroplasticity even later in life. For example, when you first learn to drive a car, you pay attention to the smallest press on the gas. You have to consciously remind yourself to put on your turn signal. But as you become more experienced, your unconscious mind just makes those decisions for you. The problem is, as we get older, it gets harder to change the patterns in the brain, which is why adults have more difficulty learning an instrument or a new language than children do. Scientists have found a direct correlation between brain plasticity and aging. Synaptic connections, which work as the messengers between neurons, increase between the time we're born and our third birthday. But they decrease by half when we reach adolescence and stay static throughout our adulthood. Your adult brain doesn't have the same tools to make neural connections that it did when you were 10 years old. Essentially, our minds spend years creating their own little map. And once it's set, they don't want to change it. The map lives in our sensory motor cortex in our brain. That's the region that receives information from our senses and responds by sending motor instructions to the rest of the body. Those instructions follow the map along tiny little roads that lead to the muscles, organs, and nerves. For anyone who's ever tried to learn piano past their 30s, you know how difficult it is to consciously change these maps on your own. But they can reconfigure themselves without our knowing. Which is where phantom limb pain comes in. If the brain sends a signal for one task, like unclench your fist, but the arm doesn't exist, it's like the road is closed for construction. The instructions can't be delivered. When the brain tries to take the same road enough times and sees it continually blocked, it creates a detour. Doctors theorize that these detours cause a lot of the inexplicable sensations associated with phantom limb pain. It's like the neurons are driving down a bumpy, unpaved new street, and that rough ride gets interpreted as pain. At least that's what Dr. V.S. Ramachandran believed. And his theories were seemingly confirmed when he discovered a second strange phenomenon. When the brain no longer received signals from the lost appendage, he believed another, more dominant part of the body, like the face, took over the disused neural tissue. Basically, the brain didn't want any of its cells to go to waste. So if it wasn't using the cranial neurons that usually correspond to, say, the left arm, it would reassign them. But some of those cells still saw themselves as left-arm neurons. Ramachandran tested his theory by blindfolding a patient. He touched several parts of the body. When he prodded the patient's cheek, they immediately reported sensations in the face and stump. So the phantom pain may have come from activated neurons in the face, which might have taken over the abandoned part of the brain but he wasn't convinced that this was the only thing causing the pain. He also felt there was a disconnect when signals were sent from the brain to the missing appendage. 
When a patient couldn't see, say, their missing hand clench, the brain computed that dissonance as pain, which is why he believed patients found relief in therapies like MVF. Dr. Ramachandran theorized that MVF alleviated pain because it temporarily created new, smoother roads for the information to travel on. Essentially, the brain believed it had bypassed those closed highways. And the same thing happened in VR and AR therapies. Only those might have kept the roads open longer. But some doctors rejected Ramachandran's theories. A 2018 study by neuroscientist Dr. Tamar Makin suggested that phantom limb pain was caused by a lack of remapping in the brain. She didn't believe the mind created detours. Instead, the neurons just kept traveling to the same blocked roads. Makin performed an MRI on 17 amputees who lost their limbs an average of 18 years prior. Macon and her team found that the patient's neural maps were nearly identical to those of people who weren't amputees, which suggested the brain hadn't reorganized anything after nearly two decades. Later, she analyzed a group of candidates who were born without limbs. Macon found that those patients had maps that perfectly corresponded to their bodies, and there didn't seem to be any roadblocks. The brain didn't try to send messages to a limb that wasn't there because it had never had to do that before, which could explain why those born without a limb are less likely to suffer from PLP. To sum it up, there were two theories, Ramachandran's, which said the detours caused the pain, and Macon's, which said the brain never took the detour. But both agreed that the brain's maps could be changed as we've seen, it's not impossible to learn the piano late in life. It just takes more effort. And Doctor of Materials Science and Engineering Albert Lin tried to prove that resetting the brain is the only way to beat the pain. 35-year-old Dr. Lin is a scientist, adventurer, and technologist. He searched for the tomb of Genghis Khan in Mongolia and led major expeditions to remap parts of Guatemala and China. He is also an amputee. In 2016, Dr. Lin was on an adventure about 15 miles from San Diego. Off-roading in a 4x4, Dr. Lin's vehicle started to flip, and he put his leg out to try and stop it. That split-second decision changed his life forever. Days later, infections settled in Dr. Lin's leg, and he was faced with a difficult decision. Lose his leg or risk death. Dr. Lin naturally chose the former. In a later interview with National Geographic, Lin said that a week or two after the amputation, he felt pain so excruciating that he wished the accident had taken his life. The worst part? The suffering came from a limb that was no longer there. Lin searched for any treatments to cure the chronic pain, which was when he stumbled upon Dr. Ramachandran. Ramachandran introduced Lin to mirror therapy. And at first, Dr. Lin thought he'd found the answer. But within a matter of days, the discomfort returned and Lin was back to square one. So he wondered, what if he tackled the more immediate issue? 
Remapping the Brain. Dr. Lin said it was as simple as choosing to let my mind create a new reality. He practiced kundalini yoga, breathing meditations, used sensory deprivation tanks, even powerful psychedelics like psilocybin mushrooms, and he realized his ego was thwarting his recovery. In an interview with UC San Diego, Dr. Lin said, psilocybin basically increases the number of connections between your neurons and allows you to let go of your ego, the perception of the self that includes your body. So Lin focused on any treatments that allowed what he called flow, an action that lets the ego drop away and keeps the patient in the moment. When he practiced yoga or meditation, his brain was able to alter that map and his perceptions of reality, thus allowing the pain to dissipate almost on command. Dr. Lin admitted that his methods might be a placebo, but that wasn't a bad thing. A placebo is a substance used in control studies that offers no real therapeutic effects. But some patients believe so strongly in the placebo's alleged benefits they get better without undergoing any treatment. In this case, Lynn believed that placebos were the biggest key to changing the brain's map. In an interview with National Geographic, he said, if somebody feels like they're actually getting completely healed by, I don't know, some energy work, for example, then that's a real thing because it's in their mind and it's believed. And if flow states allow us to get to that place where our minds can be plastic enough to retune to new perspectives, then we should look at how we get to flow. The problem laid in making the treatment accessible to everyone. Some people aren't used to yoga or meditation. Some aren't able to remain present in the moment or don't believe in the power of New Age medicine and most don't know how to find the flow to free themselves of their ego. Dr. Lin's company, the Center for Human Frontiers, tried to labify these techniques. CHF hoped to create new innovations that would better unite man and machine. They focused on human bionics and 3D printed prosthetics, but they also tried to find the most cutting edge treatments for PLP. Today, Dr. Lin and his team are looking for ways to measure the brain and heart rate to control a person's flow. They plan to eventually incorporate AR and VR therapies so patients can overcome their PLP permanently. Their abstract therapies are still in their infancy, and even Dr. Lin admits he hasn't perfected anything yet. He says his PLP still returns from time to time, but it always depends on his mental state. Science still has yet to prove exactly what happens in the mind and body when a patient experiences phantom limb pain. But Dr. Lin seems to have the best grasp on how to help patients going forward. He says, what I learned in my physical experience is that so much of my reality is defined entirely in my mind, from that phantom limb pain, to whether or not this is a big catastrophe in my life, to whether or not it's one of the greatest gifts in my life. Which only goes to show the human brain remains one of the most powerful and misunderstood objects in the world. 
And maybe our only limitations are the ones the mind creates for itself. Thanks for listening to Medical Mysteries. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Among many sources, we found National Geographic's article, Opioids Won't Solve the World's Chronic Pain, This Idea Might, and Philadelphia Magazine's article, This Virtual Reality Treatment Could Be the Cure to Phantom Limb Pain Useful to Our Research. You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Medical Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>